Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Live with Doug. <clears throat> Excuse me. My name is Doug, and we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and we are thinking through God's Word together. Glad that you could join us. Uh, good to see you all uh, who have chimed in here this morning, Tim and John and Keith and Paul and uh, Paul and the rest of you. Welcome. Uh, we're going to wrap up our study of the law of Moses and law of Christ today. Before we get into that, I have two things I want to say to you. Number one, uh, I learned something yesterday. Uh, if you were with us, you know that I was, uh, I was called out for using Shekinah, uh, glory yesterday. And, uh, you know what? Uh, my brother was right. Uh, I have been using that term, um, as a synonym for the glory that filled the tabernacle and the temple. And, uh, and my brother rightly called me out on that. I looked it up yesterday, and the word Shekinah does not appear in the Bible, in the Hebrew anywhere. And I take him at his word. He said he did a research paper on this and that it has some, uh, some associations that we as Christians don't want to make. So I would encourage you to not use the word Shekinah, and I'm going to try to refrain from that in the future. So just want to acknowledge that and, uh, and thank my brother for calling me out. Second thing I want to tell you is, uh, starting on Monday, we are going to embark on a new series, and I think it's going to be intriguing to you. I think it's likely to provoke a lot of uh, discussion, and uh, so I would encourage you to stay tuned to the end of uh, today's live stream, and I will tell you more about that. Okay, so with that as introduction, let's, uh, let's wrap up this series. Now, we've talked a lot about the law of Moses uh, so far. But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the law of Christ. And uh, so I want to spend a little bit of time there today. And, and I want, as we do this, I want us to be sure and realize that uh, this is a very, you know, we, we like to debate as Christians. We like to fight. We like to argue. We like to wrestle with truth. And, and there's good in that. We, we should be pursuing truth, which requires debate and disagreement. But... At the end of the day, if this study just gives you ammunition to push back against those who see things differently, we've sort of missed the point, right? The law of Christ, what Christ calls us to, is not simply to engage in theological debate, but to live out what he wants for us. So uh, I just want to preface what we're going to say today with that. All right, so I want to uh, frame this a little bit, going back to a passage that we looked at uh, a few lessons ago, 1 Corinthians 9, just to remind ourselves of the broader context here. Paul says, to the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win the Jews, to those who are under the law, as under the law. And here's, here's what I want to hone in on, though not being myself under the law. So hopefully, if you've been with us, I've established that. That is consistent through the scripture. No one is under the law. Paul here, speaking as a former Jew, he says, I'm not under the law. That's the law of Moses. That's not his law. It's not anybody's law anymore. And he, he says, uh, he acts like he is so he can win them. To those who are without the law, that would be the Gentiles, he says, I act as though without the law. And here's the key. Though not being without the law of God. So you, you see, hopefully you saw this in our study of, of Leviticus and elsewhere, there is a law of God that is not synonymous with the law of Moses. So Paul says, on the one hand, I'm not under the law of Moses. I'm not under the Ten Commandments. I'm not under those requirements of the Old Covenant. But there is a law of God. I'm not without that law of God. This is 
the eternal standard of God. We saw this in Leviticus 18. We saw this in Romans 1. There is this law of God. Well, how do we know what that law of God is now? We look at the law of Christ. That's what he says. I'm not without the law of God, but I am under the law of Christ. So where do we begin to decide what the law of Christ is? Well, we look to the words of Jesus himself. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Here's what he said. Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is to his disciples after the resurrection. And what does he say? All authority has been given to me, he says. See that? All authority in heaven and on earth. All authority that there is has been given to Jesus. Jesus is the supreme ruler. He is the high king of the universe. He has been given all lordship. God the Father gave God the Son all authority in heaven and on earth. So what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. We're to disciple the nations. Take this this message (coughs) far and wide to every creature baptizing them, that's preaching the gospel, so they will come to faith. We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, Jesus says. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're to take the good news of the kingdom to all the nations, calling people to believe the gospel, to receive forgiveness. We're to baptize them and then teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's his law, everything he commanded. Well, how do we know what he commanded? We read the New Testament. You realize Jesus didn't write anything, right? He didn't leave us his book. He didn't leave us his book of commandments. He sent his disciples out with his commands. And so as we read the New Testament or what we could call the New Covenant Scriptures, we see the commands of Jesus laid out. All right, so let's look at a couple other things. He says this to his disciples in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. So this is a commandment given by Jesus that you love one another. Now, the command to love is not new. But here's the new part. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Jesus' self-sacrificial love, his giving of himself for the benefit and for the good of others, That's the part that is new. And he's going to take it all the way to the final degree of giving his life for the good of others. Taking shame, taking taking a beating, literally, uh, for the good of others. That's the paradigm. That's the model. My friend Blake White has this book called uh, The Imitation of Jesus. Uh, If this is a new concept for you, I would encourage you to read this book. You can find it on crosstocrown.org, which will take you to to Amazon. So just go straight to Amazon. The Imitation of Jesus by A. Blake White. Uh, He gives a very, very high level overview of what this self-sacrificing, this cruciform love uh, is. Jesus goes on here to say, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do we fulfill the law of Christ? It starts with love. Here's what he says in Matthew 7. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And notice what he says here. For this is the law and the prophets. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 5? 
when we looked at how Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We talked about how that means he came to embody all that the law prophesied, that the, the law has a prophetic purpose as well as the, the um, guardian for Israel. It also was a prophet, the law was. It foretold of what real righteousness looks like. Jesus was the embodiment of that. Again, what he says here, treat others the way you want them to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. This is what all that God was trying to say in the Old Testament was to get at. People are selfish. People are filled with self-interest. People do what they want to do. People are concerned with themselves, right? And, and Jesus says, the law and the prophets all from different angles and in different ways said, love others the way you love yourself as much as you love yourself. This is the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as you, yourself. You love yourself. Friends, you love yourself. You just do. You give yourself the benefit of the doubt. You take care of yourself. Uh, you work things for your own good. You do that. I do that. Jesus said the second greatest commandment in the law is love your neighbor as much as you love yourself or in the same way as you love yourself. And Jesus here says that's what the law and the prophets were trying to do was to expose that you need to treat others the way you treat yourself. Love people. Love others. Paul picks up on this theme in Romans 13. He says, render to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes is due. We hate that, don't we? <laughs> but we are to pay our taxes. Now, there's a whole other discussion on uh, here in the U.S., for instance, has our government taken way beyond uh, what the, the Lord grants them as far as taxation? I would say yes, emphatically yes. And they're going to pay the consequences of that someday as they stand at judgment. But to the degree that we're to pay taxes, we are to pay it. Uh, pay custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. There are, there are people that deserve our, our taxes, our, our traditions, our fear, our honor, all of that. And then he says here, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. So pay what you owe, which is love and respect and honor and taxes. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And notice this phrase. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Paul is picking up on the, that terminology that Jesus used. Fulfill the law. You want to you be a law keeper? You want to you claim that people are under the law of Moses? Fine. What is the fulfillment of the message of the law? Love one another. Look what he says. For this, and he quotes the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other command, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see that? The command not to commit adultery. Is that ultimately intended just to curb your actions? No. How do you fulfill that command? Love your wife. Love your husband. If you love your spouse, you won't commit adultery. Right? You see that? Don't murder. Well, if I love my brother, I'm not going to kill him. If I love my neighbor, 
I'm not going to kill him. Don't steal. If I, if I love people, I'm not going to take their stuff. <laughs> if I love people, I'm not going to be greedy for what, they're ha- what they have and be jealous of them and want everything they have. No. Whatever commandment there is in the, in the law of Moses, it's summed up. It's, 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 it's fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul wraps it up here. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do you see how Paul here is picking up on those same themes from, from Jesus? He, Jesus, is the embodiment of everything the law prophesied. And here's what it boils down to. Love God, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That is what everything in the old covenant was pointing toward. Jesus, who embodied it, and us acting like Jesus as we love others. Uh, Paul goes on to, to take, come at this a different way. Genesis, or Galatians 6. Brethren, if, even if everyone is caught in any trespass, even if, sorry, anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill, there's that word again, the law of Christ. How do we fulfill Christ's law? How do we, how do we uh, embody what, what his law prophesies about? We bear one another's burdens. You see, you see all the, the focus on someone else. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. Then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not regard to one another, for each will bear his own load. Now, there's a lot here, and, and you know, if we were walking through Galatians, we would see that the, the Greek line behind some of this, uh, it needs a little bit of uh, wrestling through to see the, the specific points. But the broader point is clear. Christ calls us to bear one another's burdens, and Paul calls that the law of Christ, being concerned with the good of others. Do you see that? We're to be outward focused, pursuing the good of others. Now, it's really important to qualify this at this point because what modern, uh, uh, well, I've got to be careful what I say here. What we've done with this word love is made it all about sentimentality and being nice. Scriptural love, biblical love, godly love is not about being nice. It's not about what we feel in our hearts. It's not this, uh, this, I love you. You just make my heart go pitter patter. It's not, I'm a, I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's love is not simply saying, don't make anybody upset. Make sure no one's angry at you. Don't do anything that they, they might take the wrong way. That's, that's not biblical love. Remember, Jesus, who is the embodiment of love, said some very strong things. He called, he called the, um, the Pharisees offspring of snakes. He called them brood of vipers. He called them children of Satan. He rebuked them harshly, called them out and said, you will travel over land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn those people into twice the sons of hell that you are yourself. Those are not nice words. And then he went out on the mountainside and, and wept and cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't have it. 
So his love for the Lord, his love for holiness, his love for righteousness caused him to speak hard things to the Pharisees. But he did it out of love. He wanted them to repent. He called Peter Satan. Remember that? (laughs) That didn't make uh, Peter feel good. Love is not simply making people feel good. We have to call sin, sin. We have to call unrighteousness, unrighteousness. Our love for Jesus means that we declare to the world when it is violating the commands of God. Right now in our nation here in America, and I know some of you are from different nations and it's the same thing there, but there is so much wickedness. If you don't know what critical race theory is all about, you probably need to look into it and what's called cultural Marxism. Uh, there's a movement that is worldwide. The World Economic Forum is, is behind a lot of this, and it is a worldwide movement that is trying to destroy Christianity because Christianity is what holds the West together. And they understand that, and they have figured out that our view, our worldview, which leads to things like the 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 family unit and the patriarchy which they hate the patriarchy but the scripture lays it out fathers are the head of their household husbands are the head of their wives and the husband and wife together are the head of their children and the these these folks hate that so they're doing everything they can to destroy the family and how do they do that they take out the fathers they can destroy fatherhood, then the rest of it collapses. Well, we have to call that out. God is the one who designed the family the way I just described it. Husband and wife, we're a picture of Christ in the church. So we need to be willing to call out the wickedness of this worldview that is trying to stamp out Christianity. It's what Paul said. He said, we are, we are tearing down strongholds and everything that lifts itself up against the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, he uses the words, we are taking thoughts captive. And I hear preachers say that all the time. Christians talk about this all the time that, you know, we need to make sure we don't let any lustful thought come in our heart or any angry thought come into our heart. We need to take every thought captive. And that's true, but that's not what Paul's getting at in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul there in 2 Corinthians 10, when he says, take every thought captive, is talking about worldviews, systems of belief that are setting themselves up against the truth of Christ. He says, our weapons are not uh, man's weapons. We don't do this by picking up arms, taking up arms and and shooting our enemies. No, we do it by preaching truth and teaching truth and calling out error, exposing the deeds of darkness. We have to do that. We do that because we love the Lord and because we love our neighbor. It's not loving your neighbor to let them continue in their sin and violate the truth of Christ. And when you call them out, they're not going to say you're being nice. They're going to say you're being a bigot, you're being arrogant, you're being exclusivist, you're being, you know, all those words that they love to use. Well, love for the Lord and love for the neighbor says, I need to expose that darkness. But we also do it with gentleness and humility because we are sinners too. And we've been rescued from darkness. And, And we need to speak, we need to be the light in the midst of that darkness by pointing to the true light 
and we do that humbly realizing that someone else had to do that for us. Right? We, need, we need to always be careful that when we call people out on their sin, we make sure that to, to communicate, it's not my standard you're violating. I don't need to get upset with you because you're not, you're not offending me with your sin, but you're offending your king, the one who's been given all authority in heaven and earth. So the point of all this is to say, love is not avoiding controversy. Love is not playing nice with people. Love is not following politically correct speech. Love is not keeping our religion to ourselves. This is one of the favorite tools of the enemy to tell you as a Christian, you need to, it's fine for you to believe what you want to believe, but you need to keep that to yourself. Who are you? How dare you think you have the right to correct anyone else, to, to, to tell someone else their view is wrong? Well, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, gave you that right. So we, we must not be quiet on things like abortion and homosexuality and government overreach and statism and critical theory and Marxism and communism, all those things. No, those, all of those things violate the truth of God. We need to, to stand firm on the truth and speak truth. But we do it with love. We do it with the motivation to help people see what is true and, and to declare what is true of God, not out of arrogance and self-righteousness. You see the difference? Love for others. If you see your friend driving off the cliff, love would say, if you can stop it, stop it, right? So you see your your neighbor, your friend, your family member committing sin that's going to lead them to destroy themselves before God or lead to God's wrath. Love doesn't just sit by quietly and say, well, I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want them to make them think I'm judgmental, so I'm not going to say anything. You're going to sit there. See, do you see how that's selfish? I don't want them to think poorly of me, so I'm not going to say anything about their sin. That's selfish. I'm going to let them go ahead and, and face the wrath of God because I don't want them to think I'm being arrogant. No. Love says, I will take the risk that you'll hate me forever but I've got, to, I've got to warn you of what's coming. I think it was Spurgeon that said something like, if, if people are going to go to hell, uh, you know, maybe by marching over our dead body, body, something like that. I'm totally butchering that. But his point was, if be willing to be trampled on by, by speaking truth to people. All right, I see a few uh, comments here. Let me, uh, let me see if... Uh, if we want to talk about any of these here, uh, John says, follow-up question on a previous podcast, what is the NCT approach to the sacraments and liturgy of the church, especially as a means of grace? All right, I may come back to that if we have time. It's not, uh, not quite on topic here. Uh, Keith says, whoops, if the whole Bible is inspired word of God, doesn't the old covenant sum up with the Ten Commandments what Jesus was saying? Um. No, because all the other commands in the Old Testament are also inspired by God, right? The, the command that said, don't eat pork, that was inspired just as much as do not steal is. You see that? Um, so we can't just grab verses out of the Old Testament and say, since this is inspired by God, it's a, 
it, it's binding on all of us. No, we have to let the scripture tell us what is binding on all of us. And the scripture does not say the Ten Commandments are the law of Christ. Uh, the Ten Commandments prophesied and predicted what it means to love one another and love the Lord. But you can't just go grab those ten and say, I know you're, uh, you've asked a few of these questions, Keith. I know you're trying to hang on to those Ten Commandments, but I, I just want to tell you, my friend, that's, that's coming more from uh, theological rather than uh, biblical assumptions. Lon says, do we condemn or call out the unbeliever for breaking the law of Christ? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, someone raised this the other day, and I can't remember if I answered it, so let me answer it here. Sometimes people will say, okay, if, if we don't have the law of Moses, how do we point people to the gospel because if we don't have the law of Moses, how do we get them condemned? How do we show them their sin? The law of Christ. And again, this is so much easier, so much easier. If all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, then what is the obligation of everyone on earth? Obey Jesus, right? He's the high king. And, and Paul said this in Philippians, someday every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We're to call people to do that now. If they wait until judgment day, it'll be too late to receive any benefit from it. Oh, they'll still say it. They'll be compelled to say that Jesus is the king, but they'll do so on their way to God's wrath and condemnation. If they bow the knee now, then they receive forgiveness, right? You see that? So they are called to obey Jesus. He, all authority has been given to him. So to get someone condemned, all you have to do is point out to them, you're not serving Jesus. See, if we, if we bring laws from the Old Testament, now they can play all kinds of games in their head. You say, don't commit adultery, and they can say, well, I've never committed adultery. You say, yeah, but you've lusted in your heart, and now you get this back and forth, this wrangling about those words. And, and they can convince themselves that they're righteous. They haven't really violated that. Well, if you knew my wife, right? If you knew how awful my wife was, then, you know, I think God's going to give me some, some grace here. He's going to understand how awful my wife was and, and she drove me to commit adultery and, and all those games that people play. And of course, it's all wrong, but, but you sort of give them an out in their own mind. But you ask them, do you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart? Do you bow the knee to Jesus? Do you desire to please Jesus in everything? Well, no unbeliever is going to say yes to that because they don't care about Jesus. And that's where you say, my friend, Jesus is king. He's your Lord. And if you don't call upon him for mercy right now, then someday he's going to be your judge. So we don't need the law of Moses to get people condemned. We just need the law of Christ. They stand condemned by not obeying Jesus. Uh, I see uh, Paul says another session would be good. On what in particular? What, uh, what aspect ha have I left kind of unclear that, uh, that that would be helpful? Because um, I'm willing to change course here and do that. Um, but I'm curious to, to know what it is that, uh, what you'd be interested in. Um, Jesus, is it Jesus? Hope that's correct, says... 
We have seen the last two years how the world also distorts the law of Christ with controversial worldly medical procedure mandates or social justice issues as well. Yeah, and that is all part of that um, uh, the critical theory, cultural Marxism, World Economic Forum stuff. Um, that you know the the government and. and Seems like I mentioned this uh, during one of the sessions, but uh, if you know who R.C. Sproul was, uh, great man of God. Obviously, I disagree with him because he would—he's a covenant theologian or was a covenant theologian, although I think he knows better now. Um, anyway, great teacher. Uh, he knew Francis Schaeffer, uh, who was also a, a very important um, uh, Christian philosopher. Will you say of the 20th century? Um, and Sproul talks about how he asked Francis Schaeffer decades ago what he foresaw as the biggest concern for the church going forward. And he said, Schaeffer said, without even taking a pause to think about it, statism. Statism. That Christians were following the world in, in looking at the state as our protector and provider basically taking the place of god and that's ex he was he was prescient in his view that's exactly where, we, where we've come we have given so much power to the state here in america we've done this we have allowed um we have allowed the the, the state to take on the role that god should they've gone way beyond the state should not be responsible for our education that's our job. Let me. This is part of the law of Christ. Let me show you this. Okay, um, Ephesians six. Oops. Hold that thought. Let me pull this up. If I can type, I can't type. <laughs> Ephesians six. There we go. So we have the command here: children, obey your parents. See, this is part of the law of Christ. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Look what he says to fathers here, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, pop quiz on what we've been talking about. What is the Lord Jesus the king of? Everything. Everything, right? There's not one square inch of the universe that Jesus is not Lord over. There's not one aspect of your life that Jesus is not king over. If you're a father and you have children in your home who are still under your authority and your responsibility, you are required to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And what have we done as Christians? We've handed that over to the state. We've told or believed what we've been told that the state, it's their job to teach our kids math. Is Jesus the king of math? Yep. He is. Is Jesus the king of social issues? Yep. Is Jesus the king of literature? Is Jesus the king of sexuality? He's the king of it all. We as fathers are responsible to raise our children in the fear and discipline of the Lord Jesus. And that covers every aspect of our lives. 
you're not free to hand that over to the state. And our state today, speaking for the U.S. here, but I believe this is probably true across, worldwide, wherever you are, the state today is teaching an atheistic, evolutionary worldview. So you're, you send your kids to a state-sponsored school, what we call public school, which is really a government-controlled school. And you are sending your kids to get an education from people who are atheistic. They deny the Christian worldview. They teach evolution as the explanation of things. They teach critical theory. More and more they're teaching Marxism communism and they have influence over your kids 40 50 hours a week we've handed that over we've handed over to uh to secular atheistic worldviews um social education so to speak uh counseling all that kind of thing and then we wonder why Christians in the church are where we are. John says, agreed, it's odd and unfortunate that many who've been champions of the gospel of grace have been likely to be more sympathetic to social justice activism. Uh, yeah, of course, we want justice. We want God's justice. And where there is real racism, then we hate it. God hates it. But we're not, we've become naive. We've allowed the 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 worldview that's hostile to Christ to stir up. You realize, I mean, the whole social justice racist stuff that's out there, it in itself is actually trying to stir up racism. By calling out white supremacy and all that stuff, what they're doing is they are provoking racism. They're trying to, it's their, it's their worldview. And too many Christians are ignorant of this. Okay. Well, we're we're, I mean, this is all germane to the topic, but we could go on and on about this. All right, I, st I haven't seen any response to what another session would be good on. So um, I think for now, I'm going to move on. And if if you convince me in, in comments, if you write comments on the video afterward and convince me to come back, then maybe I'll change course. But here's, here's where I want to go next week. Here's your teaser for next week. So I've made the comment along the way. Uh, and I've talked taught this extensively elsewhere um, that uh, that the flesh in the scripture in the New Testament especially is uh, okay. John just followed up the New Testament sacrament question. We will come back to that. That's on my plan after this next series. So we'll come back to that. Um, so it's a great question. It does flow in for this. But here's what I want to get into next week. I have talked about the flesh is not synonymous with sinful nature. So often we've been taught that the flesh means sinful nature. And there's this battle that rages between you, uh, your, your redeemed nature, and your sinful nature. And Romans 7 is one of the key battlegrounds here. Paul says, I don't do the things that I want to do. The things I want to do, I can't do. And so many of you have been taught that that is the battle that we as Christians face. And we go to Galatians 5, and it, says there, it talks about there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And, and I, my flesh wants to do things I shouldn't do, and the spirit is waging war. And if I walk in the spirit, I can overcome the sinful nature. And my contention is that is not what the Bible means 
by flesh and spirit. So beginning on Monday, we are going to pick up a new series that will follow along because you're going to need to know some of the stuff we've been talking about. That'll follow along that and we're going to walk through the flesh and the spirit. We're going to spend a lot of time in Romans, uh, digging into Romans 7, and then we'll come back to Galatians 5 and look at that as well in some other places. So that's where we're heading next week. Uh, If you want to read ahead, look at those chapters, maybe Romans 6 through 8 and Galatians 3, 4, and 5 and 6. And, uh, and that's what we're going to head into. So with that, have a great weekend. Walk in the Spirit. Submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in this day that he has made. And uh, let's uh, put into practice what we've been talking about. Love one another, for this fulfills the law. God bless. Have a great one.